Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. A lot of failure gives you time to like think first of all and also like start saying like if I could do it right how would I do it see the mistakes other people are making you know so you start learning from it you see like comics drop off and you start you have time to fucking analyze it and like why has that guy gotten worse what happened there and you just keep get you keep just trying to get better and better and then by the time you do it's like I don't know you get used to being poor so like some stuff has less pull on you than it would have, you know, if you get used to like nice shit. Welcome back to Industry Standard. Very excited about today's show with Ari Shafir. And without further ado, I'm going to introduce him. And we're going to have a truly, truly funny, unique and inspirational time. I know you're gonna like this guy a lot. He is truly one of the gems of the Los Angeles comedy scene and the nation. Ari Shafir is a comedian, actor, writer, producer, and podcaster. He grew up Orthodox Jewish and spent two years in a yeshiva in Israel, after which he came back to America to lose his religion and become a stand-up comedian. In 2012, his stand-up album, Revenge for the Holocaust, went to number one on iTunes and Amazon the week of its premiere. His first hour special, Passive Aggressive, premiered on Chill.com in February of 2013 and on Comedy Central in March of 2015 to rave reviews. Shafir's second hour stand-up special, Ari Shafir, Paid Regular, premiered on Comedy Central that same year. He's also a producer of the television series This Is Not Happening, also on Comedy Central. He also co-hosts the podcast Punch Drunk Sports and is a regular guest on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. He wrote and appeared alongside Rob Schneider and Adrian Brody in the film Inappropriate Comedy and in Keeping Up with the Joneses with Zach Galifianakis and Gal Gadot. Shafir performs stand-up to sold-out crowds nationwide and has been featured at a plethora of some of the most respected festivals in the world. 
including Oddity, Moon Tower, Bridgetown, San Francisco Sketchfest, South by Southwest, and of course, the Motherlode, the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival, where we're interviewing him tonight. His two-part special, Double Negative, hit Netflix last year and has been getting rave reviews. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today, one of the most incredible, unique, authentic, original, and outspoken comedians you'll ever know, see, or hear in this world of this business. Please welcome my guest today, Ari Shafir. Very nice. If I were to compare human beings to the improv, the Laugh Factory, the and the Comedy Store. Yeah. Okay, I like this already. <laughs> if I were to say something, I would say that if the Comedy Store was a person, yeah. it would be you. Yeah, it was made there. But then again, Louis Anderson started at the Comedy Store. If I had to identify a comedy club with Louis Anderson, I wouldn't identify his personality with the comedy store. No, right? Weird. The way the Laugh Factory is presented yeah. as a club, it's presented with lights, bright lights from the heavens and from the back of the comic. Even if it isn't per se, when people walk in, the image of the club is the light. In the Laugh Factory? Yes. Yeah, it's bright. It's lit up. When you go in the improv, there's black curtains all around the side. There's some pictures of comedians around. It's been renovated a little bit. Yeah. And it's lit, and you can see the light. And then the comedy store is complete darkness. Yeah. And the thing is, when I look at certain artists like John Heffron, yeah. would probably remind me of the physical image of the Laugh Factory, the light, just straight down the middle, mainstream comedy. The improv yeah. might be somebody, let's say, like Jim Gaffigan. His comedy is down the middle, but his personality sometimes, he's had times in his career of the darkness, but he also has had times of the light. When I sit across from you, you have this Jewish dark night feeling about yeah, you. Very nice. Is very powerful and permeates. And when you walk in a room, people notice. And I want to know if you notice that. No, I do not notice that at all. What do you notice? I don't notice anything. I'm just kind of like walking in a room and hang by the corner. God. <laughs> I mean, people take notice. I'm just kind of like stay out of people's way. Remember the movie Indecent Proposal? Yeah. I never saw it, but those previews were great. <laughs> I mean, I know all about it, right? I know the whole plot. In 20 years, I've heard all about it a thousand times. Oh, man. <laughs> did you ever see it, see it? Yes, I did. <laughs> cool. Woody Harrelson, Demi Moore, they were the couple, right? And who's the fucking... Robert Redford. Redford came in and was like, yeah, I want to fuck you for a million dollars. They were already having trouble, financial trouble. It was probably set up super obvious, like when Rain Man. All right, so anyway, but then she did it and broke up their marriage. That's right, so... <sighs> Is there any price yeah. for anything that you normally wouldn't give up yeah. that would let you give it up? Let's say there was a special you recorded on your own. That I hated. You, you hated it, yeah. but somebody came along and said, listen, I know you hate this, but I like this, and I want to put this out on Netflix for a million dollars. Oh, no way. No uh, way. Oh, nothing like that price. 
10 no. million. No, it says which won't, there's no reason to do it. I don't need the money like that. That's not where I create my happiness from. <laughs> it's like that. I'm already getting that stuff. That would ruin all of it. That'd ruin all of it. If I'm going to ruin all of it, I'd get as much as I could, but like, I wouldn't do that. There's no way. No way. It's all free now. There's no reason to do something like that. Well, that's the Chappelle philosophy. What did he say? What was his philosophy? First philosophy he shared with comics was find your lane. Yeah. And what does that mean? Be true to your lane. What I think he meant by it was find your voice. Yeah. And like you say, be true to your voice, stick to your voice, believe in your voice, and follow that straight line. Oh, that makes sense. And don't divert from it. I hate when these fucking whatever comics, like Guido comics or anything, and they start suddenly becoming like fucking preachers. About, <laughs> like, guys, shut up. Do the fucking accents again. That's all we want from you. Just do the accent and get out of here. Do you think that fucking comedy sometimes borderlines... On being a preacher, just different energies? Yeah, maybe, but like, yeah, yeah, sure, maybe. Don't you think yeah. you have followers because they think what you think and they believe what you believe, which is what a preacher does in a church? Maybe. Let me think about that. You don't pass along the basket, though, because you're Jewish. Right. I feel like the people who think what I think just tune into me. I don't change their opinion. Maybe I do sometimes. Of course you yeah, do. Yeah, maybe I do sometimes. But what? Is it like a religion? No. <laughs> you don't think? No way. I mean, in a small, small way. Somebody who I don't hang out with, I've never spent a lot of time with. Your like father? You. My father passed away when I was four. So oh, sorry, buddy. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I knew you'd appreciate it if I said that. <laughs> yeah. No, that he wasn't. That's so fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> you were so inside. It's just, oh, man. <laughs> so good <laughs> jesus christ oh the unexpected it's so great so what i was gonna say was joe rogan is somebody who i have an enormous amount of respect for from the first time i saw him on stage and i could share this with you as a manager i would watch his confidence he would go on with overalls and no t-shirt on wait what he was this cocky, ripped up guy in Boston. And Wait, he, are there pictures of him on stage with uh, overalls and no shirt on? I don't know if there are, but I'm just sharing <sighs> with you. And he would fucking kill. And yeah. he had this powerful attitude where he rarely smiled and he just killed the audience. When I watched him and in the back, I was like, wow. This is incredible. He was just in that lane, if I could use Chappelle's thing, where I thought even if the guy entertained a fraction of a thought of me working with him as a manager, I just <laughs> wouldn't even be the right guy for what I see. But I have Why not? Why wouldn't you be a good manager for Joe Rogan? Because I always felt that I wasn't as good with people who were serious no. <laughs> <laughs> my legs are going to be taken out every five minutes here <laughs> really why wouldn't you be why wouldn't you be a good manager for joe rogan i just want to know it from the manager's point of view go ahead because he had this aura of real seriousness yeah. that i don't know what it is i guess i felt that energy and my energy 
would never work together. And again, to say there was a one in a million chance that he would ever even think that I would be right for him. So I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm just looking from my perspective. But he had. An I'm e- telling you right now, if anyone's listening, if you can find me a picture of Joe Rogan with a t- with overalls and no shirt on, I will give you 50 bucks to the first person who finds me a good picture. I will PayPal you $50 if you find me that. <laughs> you will get 50 bucks right now if you can find this before this podcast is over. <laughs> now, he didn't do it in the winter. you know. Well, but yeah, it, well, obviously, got to have Marky Mark style. You can have <laughs> Pick your seasons. It probably was around that time when that was popular. <laughs> Man, I want to see a picture like this now. <laughs> Who knows? This guy, oh, no one had cell phone cameras back then. Someone had no. to take a picture. Yeah. Well, that'll make it harder, but. As managing, I think I gravitated towards people who had more of an innocence about them in the beginning, the Chappelle's, Dane, which you don't remember that, no, but, but that people time. like yeah. Tracy Morgan or Jeffrey Lipschultz, who became Jeffrey Ross, they were just... You knew him as Lipschultz? Yeah. I, <laughs> How did that career go? <laughs> and so that's something that I thought about or I was cognizant of, and maybe, again, yeah, I'm imagining this, I don't think I was. So where I was with you is that, do you feel like you have an aura of the darkness or you feel like you're just like everybody else. No, I got a little aura of the darkness, I'm sure. So when you were growing up and you said you were doing comedy and getting into it and you weren't sure about that vision of comedy, what happened? What was the day before when you didn't have your mantra? Yeah. And the day after, what yeah. happened to go down? It wasn't like that, man. It's not like a day. It's not like, a, like I've got it now. It's just you slowly, slowly form an opinion. So a lot of failure. A lot of failure gives you time to like think, first of all, and also like start saying like, if I could do it right, how would I do it? You see the mistakes other people are making, you know? So you start learning from it. You see like comics drop off and you start, if you have time to fucking analyze it and like, why has that guy gotten worse? What happened there? And you just keep get, you keep just trying to get better and better. And then by the time you do, it's like, I don't know, you get used to being poor. So like, some stuff has less pull on you than it would have, you know, if you get used to like nice shit. I don't know. And then eventually you just start to develop this, this, this theory, some trial and tribulate trial and error. You know, you fuck it up a couple of times. You're like, that didn't feel good. Obviously people change and yeah. comedy changes them. And we've all seen people start off as the light and go darker and darker. We've also yeah. seen people start off darker and go a little bit lighter. Yeah. How has comedy changed you? Um, yeah, I guess I'm more confident now, but I'm older now than I started. You know, when you can see open micers, they all do jokes about not being able to get laid because it's true. You know, and you don't see like 32 year olds saying that because they're like, you know, they fucked before. It's not like that crazy a fucking proposition. Um, so as you get older, you get more confident, but I don't know if comedy did it to me. You know, it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't think comedy really changed me much. <laughs> Failure changed me a lot, but that's it. Not comedy. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a -a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. 
Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. But they say that failure is the key to success. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Keep trying to work, get better. What's the first failure that led to your first success? I don't know. I mean, I tried to get into the comedy store for forever. So those were failures. They all just make you better as an artist. It wasn't like, it's not like the success thing, man. It's like, you just get better. You know, the successes are like incremental changes towards improving yourself. It's like losing like two strokes in your handicap. You know, it takes like a whole season to get there. And then it's not like, oh, cool, I got it. Putting's better. You said something very profound that nobody really has touched on in probably over 200 episodes. You've done 200 episodes, Barry Katz. That's crazy. Good job. Well, coming from you, that yeah, means a lot. It's a lot, man. It's Not hard to get there. What was that, four years? Something yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah, that's fucking hard. Yeah, nobody does them, first of all. People do do them, give it up. That's, that's a big milestone. Anyway, go ahead. In my opinion, when I look at you, it's the perfect trajectory of the plane starting and going and rising a little yeah, bit slowly, every year. Slowly, slowly learning, get a little better. And it's, the plane has never evened out yet. Right. It just keep going. And that's a very rare thing. And one of the things that I would imagine is if you have anxiety, one of the biggest things that might make you anxious is, wow, this plane's going, it's a slow and steady, it's rising, it's rising. Yeah. I don't want it to go down. Well, I, work, I would make sure it's not gonna, like I, I pay mind to it. Like I told you, like I, I watch other comics and what's gone wrong with them. I'd love you to, if you could, just make an example of one comic you observe who was doing things right and then all of a sudden they did things wrong and it turned. And then tell me somebody who was doing something wrong and nothing was happening and then realized what he was doing wrong or she and turned it around and it went the right way. Allie seems to have turned it around. Allie Wong. Yeah. She was kind of doing a lot of like pee-pee, poo-poo stuff and then... And then she like, uh, I don't know, it seems like she got serious. You know, when I was in film class, I talked about Woody Allen and when I think it was Annie Hall, maybe something else. But before that, it was just like a goofball director. And then that's when they were like, oh, we got to take you seriously as a director. Like you started to, or, or fucking Matthew McConaughey. When he's like, you know what, enough of this dumb shit. Let me try hard. So like she's one that seemed to be like, oh, wow, it was way better. Got it. And then tell me the reversed example. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are like, they were starting to go and then just kind of like, oh, there goes the momentum. It's all like, Rock's the version of it that's like. Chris Rock. Yeah, like long term. You know, we had now two, two, two albums, um, specials, whatever, that were like among the best ever. Definitely one. And then the other's like great. And then like, then what? You know, a special eight years ago that was kind of mediocre. Well, what does he do wrong? What did he, what did, where did he go off? I had a conversation with him. I can't remember which special it was, but he opened up with 10 minutes of Michael Jackson material. And I remember sitting down with him. I guess I have no filter and maybe it's wrong of me. I love the conversation. I said, I love what you do. You're one of the greatest in the history of comedy. Why did you open up your Michael special Jackson with stuff. 10 minutes of Michael Jackson stuff? And he said, Barry... I think I proved myself. 
in these last two specials. And if I want to have fun and do a little bit of material that might not be in the lane of that other material, I'm going to do it and I'm going to have fun and I'm going to enjoy myself. And I don't think I should be judged on the 10 minutes of Michael Jackson material. I should be judged on the body of work I have. Nobody's going to do Michael Jackson material as good as I'm going to do it. But yes, people do Michael Jackson material, but I should be able to do it and I'm doing it. Yeah, it's crazy that you would tell Chris Rock what he should say on stage. I didn't tell him what he should say. I I asked him why. Yeah. I didn't say to him, you shouldn't have done that Michael Jackson stuff. I said... Were you really asking why or were you like saying like, why are you doing that? You like really explaining to me like, hey... Tell me. Yeah, you're across from me now. Do I not seem like I'm that kind of person? Or? I'm trying to like picture the conversation. Right. So if it's like that, if it is like that, that's fine. I would sit down and I'd say, can I ask you a question about yeah. something? And he'd say, yeah. I just want to try to understand these last two specials that are there. I love the special, but when you open up with the 10 minutes of the Michael Jackson, you leave yourself open to you know how people are and whatever and i'm just wondering what the decision making was into opening up right 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 right. and he was like fuck it man i want to fuck around it's fine you know sam kinnison who was amazing and then the next album or two were like what the fuck is this just like patting yourself on the back but you're talking about a guy who was a hardcore drug addict and alcoholic kind of yeah, personality sure. and you lose your way yeah but chris rock he stayed with that example because that's not somebody who's in that world right right now it wasn't drugs i think it's like success i'm not really sure i know it's like not being in clubs every night i gotta think that's one of them when i see people like leave clubs every night then it's like oh i saw martin lawrence come into the store um and he went up and he said i haven't been up on stage at all in six months and he went up and then he sat on stage and then he he was like he was bad he was pretty bad it was like weird because i remembered him from you know from back then and then he kept coming in he kept him coming in like twice a week three times a week for for about he might have said i haven't been on stage in two years actually I'm trying to remember the exact details now but he kept coming in and then he was doing by the end by six months later a year later whatever it was he was doing the same material but he was like doing really well he was like you know, he was better again because he was practicing more. And then when you go away and you get less practice, you get worse. So, you know, the people aren't in clubs like, I don't know, how are you going to go on stage from fucking eight to 14 times a week down to like, you know, six a month and and be as good? There's no way. It can't happen. can't happen in athletics. There's no way. A lot of people ask me as comics who are ready, where should I move? Should I move to Los Angeles or should I move to New York? And I always say, well, what do you want? And if they say, I want to try to be the best stand-up comedian I can be, I always say, move to New York. And they say, why? I said, because there's a good chance you can probably get up 10 times a week in New York or more. And in LA, if you get on three times a week, it's a miracle. And at the end of a year, who's going to be three times better? Right, right, right. Yeah. I don't know. The, I don't know. I can't really speak on the open mic scene in New York. Just I was never part of that. Um, but the club scene in New York is you can for sure get up way more than in L.A. I mean, yeah, I get all my stuff done. And three times a week is not a miracle. You should be in L.A. You should be getting up eight to ten times a week if you're an open micer. But like in New York, I don't know if you can get better there. But afterwards is when you can get up as much as you want. So I can get up like three, six, twelve, 15, I can 15 times in three days, four days. And then take three days off and try to get some experiences down, you know? 
but I don't know. There's some good comics that came out of LA. You would think with the amount of extra practice New York gets that they'd be like far, far superior to anybody from LA. In rap, yeah. East Coast, West Coast. Yeah. In comedy, people rarely talk about who's better, which town produces comics. Oh, we talk about it all the time. Me and Metzger fight about it constantly. You do? Oh, yeah. Okay. He throws up shitty comics at me from LA, and I throw back shitty comics at him from New York. Here's why LA ends up being better. It's because the best ones of New York end up going to, to LA. They inherit the best. Who's left in New York? Gaffigan and Attell. Do you think that Bill Burr considers himself an LA comic? He is. He's an LA comic now. That's where he goes up mostly. I didn't ask you that. No, I don't know. I'm an LA comic, but I'm in New York now. They inherited me. They come to LA because all the stuff that you don't want to associate with, which is money. Mm-hmm. They come to L.A. because that's where the film and television is. Yes, Fallon is in New yeah. York. Yes. Uh, More pals are shot in New York now than L.A. Yeah. Well, true, if you count the dramas, too. But the point is, yeah. a lot of times they're shot there, and then they bring them back out here. This yeah. is what I want to do. I want to do a little role play. Let's do All it. right? Okay. So we're going to be picking a baseball team, nine okay. and nine, okay? Okay. I'm going to be from Let's New get a York. Toonie. You're from LA. Yeah. So let's let's flip a coin to see um, who goes for who picks first. Who picks first? Okay. okay. So Wait, who's LA? I'm LA. You're LA, I'm New York. That's heads okay. and that's tail. You call okay. it. Heads. Okay, tails. it's tails. Yeah. So I go first. Okay. Okay. My first pick right now at this point in time. They got to be doing comedy in New York right now though. No. Yeah, that's who the New York comics are and the LA comics are now. Let's just do this. Let's yeah. take the development process from when they okay. first started going on stage Until and the, the five first five-year mark. Okay. I'm taking Chappelle. New York, for sure. Okay. Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. That's your choice for your first pick. I don't know. It's the first one I thought of that like started okay. in New York. Chris Rock is my number Chris two Chris Rock. Pick. Okay. All right. Um, man, I might be out of them already. No, keep Paul going. Paul Rodriguez. Come on. <laughs> he starts in LA. No, you said there's an opportunity to develop in L.A. Oh, no, it's an awful, awful open mic scene. You just told me that, hey, you can go eight times a week. You know it. Oh, no, yeah, you do it, but it's awful. No, it's terrible, Barry. It's the worst. Well, that's what I was saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's awful. Almost all my friends but failed come out. On. Okay, so you said Paul Rodriguez is your number two. I'm gonna <laughs> I mean, who's who's third? Mencia? You're going to make me pick Mencia? Because he's going to have to be my top nine of people who actually started no, in LA. We're, Kevin Christie? Freddie Prinze would be definitely on my list. Okay. Wouldn't he? But you couldn't give me Kinnison, I guess. That's like... <sighs> yeah. I'll give you Kinnison. Okay, I'll take Kinnison first. All right, so what do you got so far? You got Chris Tucker, Kinnison, Paul Rodriguez, Freddie Prinze. Freddie Prinze, yeah. So you got four now. I've only got... Dude, I don't know who started in LA. I know from when I started, and very few people started in LA. That's okay. Not even like Pete Holmes or anybody like that. So I only got two, so can I mention some more? Yeah, you've got a ton. I can already tell you you've got a ton coming. Gaffigan and Attell. I'm fine. Yeah, five years of people who fucking stayed in LA, in New York. But the good ones left. That's what I'm saying. Now they're LA comics. They have to leave. No, they don't. Gaffigan's fine. He's got five kids. I know. He physically would could, it would cost him too much to move. <laughs> he doesn't plane <laughs> tickets. Maybe the comedy store could do relocation money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's a very strange question. Yes, sir. Tell me a comedian that you don't respect that you respect a part of what they do, but you don't respect them as a person? Um, 
Uh, Dane's a good example. Okay, so what do you respect about what he's I mean, his done? His work ethic is like, he's like, let me actually try to make this career going. That, that that part's good, you know, the thinking outside the box and like, and like, you know, see a new fucking, you know, MySpace. And he's like, let me try to kill it on here. Get everybody to know me. That, you know, that I should take some of that, you know? Um, but then the, 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 the guy who like tries to bump specific people. You know, instead of just saying, I get this honor of going on, I'll go on when I get in, but like, like wants to bump you. It's like that part's like, yeah, you're a garbage person. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing... Or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. And one of the things I want to ask you about that, because I don't know the answer to it. Honestly, if you look at me, I really don't yeah. know the answer to this. Is it documented somewhere that him or any person who's done it, that bumps somebody, yeah. that they specifically want to bump that person? Is it written somewhere in an email or is it no, something that's no, proven? This, it's presumed? just always after enough time where you're like, oh, I've got a thing going on. And it's like, they, they, or they'll call. A comedy club fucking guy who works the phones calls, and then that person will be like, "Hey, what time is so and so going?" And they'll say, "There, like, cool. I'll see you then." Dane would try to go on right before Delia, like comedy juice, and then when he says I'm coming, it's like, "Cool." He goes, "Make sure I'm on before Delia." It's like, "Okay, cool." And then like no one's there, so Delia goes up early, and Dane's like, "What the fuck? What the fuck? Why is he on?" It's like, "What are you doing, man? Because you wanted to bump him. What are you doing? What are you doing? Just go up and fucking get better." trying to hold other people back i mean no shit if you want but don't ugh, whatever it's garbage behavior i don't work with dan anymore but i also have a lot of respect for my work that i did with him and yeah. i think we accomplished a tremendous amount together hey man so business but, wise you guys yeah, killed it so no doubt about that but i want you to try this on if you will like right. a fine jacket okay let's pretend there's three sides to every story if okay. you'll just oblige me yeah so one reason that a person goes in and says, what the fuck, why is that guy on it yeah. now? Could be that they wanted to go on and disrupt that person's set. Yeah, over and over again. At the yeah. Laugh Factory all the time, at the Improv yeah, yeah. all the time, just constantly trying to disrupt their set. Yeah, one reason. Okay, what's another reason? I don't know the answer, I'm just saying. One other reason I would think could be that maybe when they do go after that person they feel like their set doesn't go over as well as it did and it's making them feel 
not as great mentally about their craft. Yeah. Guess what? You saw that Madison Square Garden. Suck it up. You're the headliner. So what the fuck are you talking? No, I would never accept that as an answer. No. Here's another possibility. I'm a physical comic. I've sort of brought physical comedy into the mainstream. You know, 10, 12, 15 years later, these guys that were in high school and grade school looking up to me, they sort of like learned from me. Same way, you know, black comics learned from Richard Pryor. And now a new person who's doing physical comedy and who's getting all the youthful roles that I might have wanted to get, but now I'm fucking 20 years, 15 years older. I'm not getting any more. And it makes me hate you. It makes me hate you. Instead of saying, hey, this is my next, this is my son. This is my guy. He's just like I was. It makes me hate you because it makes me realize that you're replacing me. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, who's the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and it involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I've partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session. BarryKBB.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard. And because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this. 
And I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.